Good morning, everyone. If you would turn in your New Testaments to the to the letter of First Corinthians, Paul's letter to the first letter to the Corinthians, we're going to continue um, our reading there, particularly about the second chapter. We've entered the second chapter already, but we're going to start about verse six this morning. So, if you would look in First Corinthians, the second chapter, that's where we'll be. Continuing our lessons. Last time we uh, read about the warning of Paul uh, to the Corinthians where he told them that the, the cross can be emptied of its power. And I think that's one of the most sobering truths that we learned last time. And it's, and it's kind of scary. It's very sad uh, as well for us and very sobering uh, that the cross can be emptied of its power. Because we were taught uh, by Paul that that doesn't mean that the cross itself ceases to be powerful, but that it can be lost with us. We can lose its power with us. We can disregard it. We can ignore it. And then it becomes detrimental to our own lives. Um, Because God is not like false gods of false religions. He's not like them at all. uh, They are dependent upon those who believe them, and they will be forgotten otherwise. That is not the way of, of, the, of God of all creation, God of the universe. He doesn't need us to be effective, to be empowered. So he continues. Uh, but Paul's warning is that sometimes we will not continue. And if we will not continue in faith towards him <laughs> then and ignore him, then we empty the cross of its power. We forget and we lose the power of the death of Jesus Christ and what it means to us. And Paul even told us how that was done. Paul said you could usually tell when the cross is being emptied of its power because there will be people who speak a lot of lofty speeches and words. Uh, Religions today that are false are filled with people who have the power of speech, uh, the rhetoric, their ability to to speak persuasively and, and, and charming and things like that. And so that's what gives them their power. And times really haven't changed since this first century that we're reading from. Uh, false doctrines and false beliefs are still supported in this very same way. And so... When we, when, what we have to do is make sure that our hope doesn't rest in some kind of human wisdom. That's Paul's warning to the Corinthians. Paul was telling the Corinthians that their division was based on that. They're losing the fact that uh, they should have a perspective that is based in the word that was delivered to them. So the cross is emptied of its power to them. And so we've got to constantly uh, reassess where our hopes lie. I mean, what uh, what is it that causes us to become angry or displeased? What is it that fuels uh, our lives against injustice? Oddly enough, it's usually when an election is happening or when we hear some amazing story on the news about somebody in power or a judge or something like that. Boy, we get really fired up about that. Um, And what about what hope that we have in this life that's very busy for everyone? 
whenever I'm feeling bad or whenever I'm feeling down, what do I do? I wonder if there's a good movie I can go see. You know, so I'll go watch a movie that'll bring up my spirits temporarily. I might uh, go to uh, Barnes and Noble and find a, a well-written novel or something. Maybe. I can find a television show that I can sink myself into. Maybe I can find a, a, something on the radio that I can listen to that will make me feel better about my feeling of injustice. I mean, we do that all the time. I can't tell you how many people tell me, hey, do you listen to the blah, blah, blah show on the radio? And I'm like, no, I, I try to read my Bible more. Hey, do you like the, the show on TV, that's, uh, this political show, or this financial show, or this whatever kind of show, and exposes things like this, very interesting, and makes you really, really know who you are in the United States? No, I mean, those, those things, you may watch them, and you may enjoy them, and that's true, but the fact of the matter is, is that who we are? Are we the kind of people that invest ourselves in worldly philosophies? Worldly intelligences. Because that's what the Corinthians were doing. That's what they were being blamed for. By Paul. Paul said if these things were in absence, you wouldn't have the division that you have. And that's what we have to remember as well. So we start there where we left off in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6-9, through 9, if you would read that with me. Paul says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. It's a very interesting passage there. Paul is talking to very immature people. And he expresses this over and over again. And if you look at chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and verses 9, chapter 4, verses 1 and verse 10, you see his language is that he's talking to people who are still childish. They're immature. They're babes. They're not ready to hear the things that he has to tell them. And yet, he tells them very clearly, yet among the mature, we impart wisdom. And that's quite interesting. So Paul is talking to Corinth, understanding that for the most part, Corinth is very immature in its assembly. Those who are hearers are not ready to hear the things that he has to say for the most part. But Paul isn't, doesn't believe he's wasting his time. He's still talking to those who would be mature. Those who would be like Paul and Apollos. And you remember before, Paul and Apollos were the reasons, quote-unquote reasons, that, that the Corinthian brethren were dividing. They were saying, well, I'm on Paul's side, or I'm on Apollos' side. And Apollos and, and Paul, they weren't in disagreement. Paul didn't have a nuance to the gospel that Apollos did not have, neither did Apollos have a nuance to the gospel that Paul didn't impart. They were speaking the same words. 
They were speaking the same gospel. The people had decided to divide over them because they preferred one or the other for whatever reasons. And of course, the I think the, the real bright distinction is that Paul wasn't known as a speaker. And Apollos was. So it's quite possible that Apollos was more eloquent and they appreciated that. And because he was more eloquent, they figured he was just a better teacher. And see, he wasn't saying anything differently than Paul was saying. And so therein lied the huge problem. And so we might be right to understand that not all of the Corinthians were confused. Uh, not all of them were bamboozled, as it was, by the modern showmen or the philosophers. And so Paul was likely writing to those few members among them that would be mature enough to hear the word and to understand it so that they could... Uh, they could work from that point. So Paul is obviously doing that. But we have to remember, he is talking to an assembly, for the most part, that is highly immature. And so he's going to tell them about this wisdom, this secret wisdom. And he says that the, the things that he is teaching is truth, based on one essential fact. And I think we need to remember that one essential fact. Paul is saying that the truth that he is teaching is the obvious truth because it's against worldly wisdom that they accept so much. That is so obviously against it. And that's the most challenging truth that I think has been repeated in Israel even since the beginning. If you go way back in your Bible in the Old Testament uh, into Exodus... If you would go with me to Exodus 23, please, in your Old Testament. In Exodus 23. Just look at those first couple of verses there. Look at what God demands in Exodus 23. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man uh, to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. This is something that has been true since the beginning of time. If you have a whole crowd of people that have consensus on a truth, you probably don't have a truth. That's an amazing thing to think about. We like to think of the fact that if, if most people agree with something, it must be right. That's the way we like to think. Because we're not going to come to the conclusion that most people are just ignorant of the facts, or, or most people are ruled by their emotions, or most people are ruled by their guts. But that is really what the fact is. People as a group, as a mob, as a crowd, are, are very easily swayed. And Paul is telling them, you must understand that this secret, hidden wisdom is exactly what works against the worldly wisdom that you're giving into, the, the crowd and mob kind of wisdom that you're giving into, this is the, the wisdom that works against that. The wisdom you should be heeding and learning and, and preaching yourself 
so that this division doesn't happen. Because that's what causes division. That's what causes this lack of unity that Corinth is dealing with and having to live through. And notice that's that's exactly what he says there. He says, see, this is what thwarted the rulers. This is an amazing passage in, in, in the first letter of the Corinthians. I mean, look at what Paul says. If the rulers of the time understood the wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord. They would have figured out, as a crowd, they would have said, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. If he lives and he grows to a ripe old age, he'll be of no effect at all. And and we can thwart the entire system and then, and, 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 you know, something better will happen and we will take advantage here. I mean, that's a really interesting thing to hear Paul say. He said, the rulers did not know what this secret hidden wisdom was. If they did, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord. Because what happened? The crowd said, crucify him. The crowd said the common wisdom, what they had consensus on, was that he was a blasphemer, he was a liar, and they wanted to get rid of him because he messed with their way of life, right? That's what they wanted to do. That was the common wisdom. They delivered Jesus Christ, the Messiah, (coughs) the Son of God, to the cross, which is exactly what they shouldn't have done. But they didn't know that. And because they did that, the secret hidden wisdom overcame evil, overcame sin, and saved the world. It's just an amazing, astounding thing to read from the lips of Paul, from the writings of Paul here. (coughs) They couldn't figure it out because that wisdom was so far away from them. Had they known that keeping Jesus alive was best for them, they would have done it so that they could go on with their way of life at least a little bit longer. But see, the mode of the world, thinking the way that the world thinks and and, and, and appreciating that and agreeing with that, that's what hinders you. That's what hinders me. That's what hinders the Corinthians. So God, in His wisdom, the true wisdom, takes advantage of those worldly thinkers. That is just incredible. He is able to gain advantage because the group, the crowd, the mob, does arrive at consensus and come to the wrong conclusion. And therefore, Christians can abide and excel and move in that kind of model and become greater. In Romans, the 16th chapter, if you would turn back a little bit to Romans 16, Paul says something like this as he ends his, his letter to the Romans. Look at, look at what he says there in Romans 16, 25 through 27. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith 
To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This secret hidden wisdom that is the truth of the gospel that all of you have access to right now. You, many of you are reading right from it as we're reading together to consider this letter together. That's where it exists. That's the secret message. That's the bold message in our very self-centered lives. And the lives that we believe are greater because of the more independent they can become. See, we even live in a nation where independence is the rule of the day. It's not that it's not a great nation. I believe it's the greatest nation on the earth. But, we all agree on that. Independence is best. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you know uh, the, this dream that we have, this honor that we have of freedom, we believe, you know, that, that this is all based on what is best for us. But realistically, when we read the scriptures, we're taught something quite different. We're taught that all people and anybody simply cannot understand the, the plan of eternity uh, and God under their own power. They can't. You need that book. I need that book. We need the scriptures. We need the word of God. And that's why Paul quotes what he did from Isaiah 64 and 65. And if you look at Isaiah 64 and 65 on your own, you see exactly what he's writing there. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. We can't see it. If we hear it, it's not something we would understand. The the plan itself could not be imagined in our hearts, which is why it was so effective. Why Jesus Christ worked beyond the wisdom of humanity to save humanity. It's such a beautiful picture that is painted for us in the scriptures and something that we so quickly forget. That wisdom comes only from divine revelation. You and I could not come to the best or most righteous conclusion on our own. It is humanly impossible to do that. Why? Are you prideful? <laughs> you know, I am. We have our, we get, our pride gets in the way. Can you be arrogant from time to time? Absolutely. I can be arrogant from time to time. We, we let that get in the way. That's why it's impossible for us. That's why we defy this truth to our own destruction every time if we only get it from ourselves. If we get it from what we can know, what we can think, what we believe is best. But Paul says, no, it has to come from divine revelation. That's the key then. For you and I to understand the secret wisdom, it has to be divinely revealed to us. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words. 
not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We talked about that before. No one knows your heart. No one knows mine. Do you know my deepest, darkest sins and tendencies? Absolutely not. Neither does the person sitting next to you or closest to you in your life. They don't know any. These are the things we hold within us, that we battle within us to overcome so that we can be as faithful as possible or we give in to so we can be as sinful as possible, whichever way you move in that direction. These are the things that only we know. He's just saying that's the way it is with God. The truth, the pure, wonderful truth and salvation that is in the mind of God cannot be known unless God reveals Himself. It's a simple idea. A very simple idea, but very profound. And look at what Paul says there in that passage. That the Spirit of God must be received. And then the reception is by something that is imparted. You hear that in religion all the time. I have received the Holy Spirit. And you ask somebody, how did you do that? Well, it came to me one morning while I was shaving. It came to me while I was driving to work. I was chopping a log in the forest and lo and behold, I was overcome by a feeling. I did that. I was chopping wood in the forest and I was overcome by a feeling. It was called dizziness. I had chopped too long and too hard and I felt like I was going to fall over. (laughs) <laughs> I never got up off the ground and thought, was that the Holy Spirit? They're like, no, that was just you doing too much that you thought you could do and you couldn't do anymore. That's all it was. Okay, and see, that's the thing. People will turn these mundane events into something else. Oh, I had a piece of chocolate the other day and it was so wonderful that I just knew the Holy Spirit was in me. No, it was just wonderful chocolate. That's what it was. This is all human-based, based in the mind, based in the emotion. And that's what people proclaim today, right? That's how I receive the Holy Spirit. Paul says, no, it's not. You receive the Holy Spirit by words. Did everybody read that? Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors who believe it's imparted any other way. Show them that passage directly from the Bible. The true secret hidden wisdom of God in the scriptures, every time they tell you they receive the Holy Spirit by a feeling or by an emotion. Read that. Paul says it's imparted by words, spiritual words, which he calls wisdom, which are the words that are in the scriptures, the words from the mind of God. And he says he imparts them to spiritual hearts. Those who are mature enough to receive that which is imparted. So again, I repeat, it's not imparted by feeling. It's not imparted by emotion or even intellectual activity. It's language. 
Language imparts the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is in the written Word and the words that we speak that are in conjunction, agreement with the Word of God that is written. That is how the Holy Spirit is given. Always and ever will be. And no other way. And that's a very unnatural thing, Paul says. It's a very unnatural thing. The natural person refuses the spiritual, he says. Because they want the feeling. They think they want to make the feeling, the emotion. Now, is that the the nature of the crowd, the mob that I said? Yes. How many people will tell you? You will find multitudes that will tell you. You can feel the Holy Spirit within you. They'll tell you that. It's an experience. <clears throat> In the old days, they said a better felt than told experience, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's the way they used to put it, which is a lie. The true spiritual wisdom of God speaks exactly counter to that. And that's what he says. That's when Paul says it's an unnatural thing, that's what he's saying. People who are natural and, and only accept the natural, they refuse the spiritual. They refuse the fact that it is imparted by words. That it is language written and spoken. That it is revealed through the scriptures. That's how the spirit is imparted. They refuse that. And so they divide. Corinth was divided because they refused that. Unity comes from accepting and understanding God's will. Apart from feeling and emotion. Now, that's not to say that the Bible doesn't make you feel good. <laughs> you know, it certainly does. I feel great every time I read the Bible. Sometimes not when it convinces me I'm being an idiot. I don't feel real great about that, but still appreciative of the fact that it revealed that, right? There's still some positive effect to that. And so don't get me wrong, there's a lot of feeling and a lot of emotion when it comes to the Scriptures. But the unity, the faith that Paul is talking about, that comes from understanding and accepting God's will apart from feeling and emotion. That's the idea here. That's what he teaches. Because judgment comes from God, not from the world's judgments. And that is one of the most thankful, <laughs> that's one of the most thanks filled passages you would ever want to read. The spiritual person, verse 15 says, judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. I was very young when I was taught by a Christian. And he looked at me and he said, Joe, he goes, you know, no one in this world, not your parents, not your brothers and sisters, not the brethren that go to church with you, not your closest friends, none of them judge you. Only God does. And I thought to myself, boy, am I thankful for that. Would you want your best friend judging you for eternity or the brethren judging you? They, they can be pretty harsh, can't they? They can be... They can be pretty hard markers. That's what went through my mind. You know, there are plenty of people out there that will tell you you're going to go to hell and burn for eternity, mister. You know, there are plenty of people that will tell you that, sadly. That's not their place to tell you that, but they will tell you that. 
And I, I looked at that man and I said, I am so thankful that God judges me. And he told me, why are you so thankful that God judges you? And I remember him telling me, I was just a little kid. And I looked at him and I said, because he knows what I'm really thinking. He knows who I really am and they don't. And he just looked at me and he said, don't forget that. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. The spiritual person is judged by God. So is everybody else. (laughs) But the spiritual person is judged by God. And doesn't have to worry about anybody else's judgment. So long as they are doing the will of God. Because people will judge you based on their own pride, their own arrogance, their own selfishness, their own agendas. They will judge you based on all those things. It's going to happen. You will have to endure it and so will I. But don't worry about it. If you're following the true hidden wisdom of God and not fooling yourself that you are, that's very important to remember, then the world's judgments are going to come to nothing. Now see, Christians are constantly being informed or challenged by their lack of conforming to that. That is something that constantly happens. We're called names, aren't we? People will call you names. Funny names. They'll call you Pharisee. Jesus freak. <laughs> you know, something like that. They'll call you some kind of odd name and you kind of look at them and go, I'm not like that at all. It doesn't matter. That's what an insult is. An insult is a generalization. They'll call you things. They'll refuse you. They will pity you. You know, have you ever been pitied by someone else? Oh, it's so sad that you think that. What, a, what an unfulfilled life you must feel because you think that. Are you kidding me? And we get that all the time. And usually by people who live in dire contrast to our quality of life. It makes me almost laugh inside and I don't mean to laugh or be derisive when somebody who's got a horrible marriage or been divorced two or three times trying to tell me how to be married. Give me a break. I've been married for 25 years. I did it once. I'm going to do it once. That's all it's going to be. You keep that to yourself. Okay, You don't know how to do it. No offense. But you didn't keep it together. So don't come and tell me. Somebody want to tell me how to live my life who's given over to wine or alcohol or drugs? Come on, please. Someone who can't who can't finish one cigarette without following it with another cigarette ten seconds later, all day long, you're going to teach me about purity of life? Please. That would be like me walking up to you and telling you, i got this great diet you can go on. No! I do not have this great diet you can go on. You know, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Would I be foolish enough to put myself in that position? No, it's a foolish action. Figure it out for yourself, then you can teach others. But in lieu of that, teach the truth that is in the gospel. Everybody can teach that. And that's the thing that Paul is teaching us here. We'll be called things, we'll be told things constantly against us because of this. Because ironically, it's actually the world that calls you intolerant 
that is being intolerant. Isn't that weird? I have met some of the most intolerant people who called me intolerant. <laughs> I mean, you talk about hard markers. Everything's in this little capsule to them. If you get out of that little capsule, they'll just chop you in half. That's intolerance. You know, they'll call you all kinds of terrible things only because they're seeking advantage over God. And there is no advantage over God. That's what Paul is teaching here. In Corinth, that had gained a foothold. And brethren and friends, we know as well, in our day and age, it has gained a foothold again, hasn't it? It has gained another foothold. Right? It, it, it's, it's all around us, we see it. And we don't need to be surprised by it. And we, if we are surprised by it, we have to stop being surprised by it. It shouldn't be something that surprises us. Because it is consistent throughout history. If you look in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, 1 Peter 4, look at what Peter says. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. <coughs> the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Does that sound like a day in the life of a Christian? Absolutely. We have to deal with that all the time. Go a little further to verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. What a beautiful promise. Paul says the key is to have the mind of Christ. Isn't that what he says? For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him, but we have the mind of Christ. Where? <laughs> right there. Right in those words that you read. Right in those words that I read. That's where the mind of Christ is. And that is the advantage. That's the advantage that we have, spiritually, eternally. Paul had it, he writes of it, he delivered it. We were saved by it, we have it, we can deliver it. And so we must look at ourselves and say, how are we doing with that? Are we expressing this true hidden wisdom to others every opportunity that we get? Wisdom comes from the Scriptures. Do you and I have an intimate knowledge of the Scriptures? Or do we constantly ask ourselves, well, I think the Bible says this, or I think the Bible says that. That's a horrible indication to us. And we all go through it. I wonder if the Bible has something to say about that. The Bible has something to say about everything. And we need to know what that thing says. 
Because that is all that's important. Wisdom comes from the mind of God that is revealed. Do we look at life and faith through His eyes? That's an important question as well. Am I looking at life the way that I look at it? And it or is it strange to us? Is it strange and odd to us that we may think that we can see life and everything around us as God sees it? So that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? No, no, it's not. The, the Bible is constantly talked about as being a glass, a mirror, something that we can look into, that we can truly see everything for the way that it is. Can we think as God thinks? Absolutely. Can we see things as He sees them? Absolutely. We just have to push ourselves out of the way. That's the unnatural thing. And that's the difficult thing. Can we react as God would? Yes. Is it strange to us? Is it odd to us? Does it seem an impossibility to us? It shouldn't. It shouldn't seem an impossibility to us. Because we can have the mind of Christ. That's what Paul said there. But we have the mind of Christ. Otherwise, God is this person that that false religions teach is in a cloud of unknowing. Have you ever heard of that? God is in this impenetrable cloud of unknowing and no one can know Him. So there's no way that we can penetrate through to see His His wisdom and His face. No! No! That's a bunch of mystical nonsense. Okay, that's mysticism at its worst. No, He is not in a cloud of unknowing. He has revealed all things to us. Full revelation. That's why Paul says we have the mind of Christ. And that's what maturity really means. That's what he's talking to the Corinthians about. You're immature, you're babes, you're not ready for this. I'm giving you everything you need. But you know, Paul was talking to those who would be mature. Anybody who preaches the gospel at all is talking to those who would be mature. Not to those who are going to follow their own pride, their own arrogance, their own selfish will. And so we have to ask ourselves that as well. Have we accepted and applied as mature individuals? What God has imparted to us. Through His will. That's the goal. That's the focus of our lives. Because if we're doing that, guess what doesn't happen? We won't fight among ourselves. That's not going to happen. The Corinthians would have stopped fighting altogether if they could all accept the will of God. There's no need to fight over that. Uh, If they would stop comparing themselves to themselves... I'm from Apollos. You're from Paul. (laughs) Yeah, but we're both from God should have been the reaction, and it wasn't. And they are from God, and we are brothers and brethren with them. That's what it should be. It shouldn't be a matter of one-upping one another or dividing over everything. See, that's the thing. When there is a full, mature reaction to the Word of God, division will never happen. And that's the question that we are left with this morning as the lesson ends. That's the question we're left with every day of our lives. Are we living God's Word like Corinth lived it? Or unlike 
Corinth lived it? That's the question for each and every one of us. For me, for you, for all of us. As we strive together as an assembly, as we strive in this life against the world and that mob mentality that is so against the mind of Christ, that's what we have to remember. And so we have to choose to be mature. Have you ever met an adult that was just an overgrown adolescent? (laughs) I mean, it's the saddest thing in the world. You meet them. You meet them all the time. You see them. They, they, They have to have things and they have to... They measure their life by their car or by their house or by their the clothes they wear or by the jewelry on their hands or what, whatever it is. They, they measure their life by how cool they can be, you know, or something like that. And it's just amazing. Overgrown adolescence. And that's for the most part who Paul was talking to. And he's imploring them. He's begging them, really pleading with them. Come to maturity. And that's always been the message of the Gospel. Come to maturity. And so if you are not baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, because you think that that's not really necessary, understand you're acting in the wisdom of the world, not in the wisdom of the Bible. The Bible says you must be baptized to be saved. You can't think you're saved and you're okay. Other people can't tell you you're saved and you're okay. That's what the false religions of the world teach, of the world teaches. That's what they teach. That's what they comfort you by, that emotional feeling kind of nonsense. The fact of the matter is the Bible says, be baptized and be saved. But that's not all it says. It says to repent. It says to have confidence in the Bible the rest of your life. These are all the things that save us. Not what we manufacture in our minds or what somebody tried to manufacture in our minds so that they, so we could like them. Or we could feel better about ourselves. And so please remember that. The Bible teaches us specifically in the book of Colossians that you must be baptized to be saved because spiritually that is the way that God cuts away the sin from your life. Like surgery. Like a cancer being removed. It's a beautiful illustration in the, in the letter of, to the Colossians. Baptism is how God chooses spiritually to cut away the sin from your life. Who doesn't want that? He doesn't say, just believe that I am and I will cut the sin away from your life. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if somebody tells you you're okay, then you're okay and I'll cut the sin from your life. He doesn't say that. God says, be baptized into Christ, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Because then I know you're serious. Why? Because it's a really unnatural thing, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful how God always uses what doesn't make sense to make sense of things? <laughs> it doesn't make sense that I dip myself in water and because I'm faithful you're going to cut the sin. Oh, that doesn't make any sense, God. Thank you. I'm sure he's saying thank you. I don't want it to make sense. I want it to be a measure of faith. A measure of your belief. I know it doesn't. You think God doesn't know that doesn't make sense? Worldly wisdom-wise, human thinking-wise, of course it doesn't make sense. That's not how he works. That's not where he works. He works in the spiritual realm. He works in the eternal realm. And so he says things like that, does things like that, so he knows. Because what does the mob say? That doesn't make any sense. Why should I have to do that? Isn't there an easier way? (laughs) Sure. 
And those ways are useless. And if you are a Christian, and you've fallen short of that call that you obeyed in baptism, to rise in newness of life and live that life dedicated to God, and you failed in that, then you have an opportunity to turn around. That's the beauty of having sin cut away from you. It need not reattach (coughs) unless you allow it to. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful future. Who would turn away from it? If you have any need this morning, whatever that need may be, please let it be known while we stand together and while we sing.